Hi everyone, this is Serhat. My guest today is Calvin Luke. He's heading partnership efforts at Refinable, which is a decentralized multi-chain NFT marketplace. So Calvin, welcome to the Curious Learners. Thank you for having me. It's nice to meet you again. I want to go in right away. So what exactly are you guys building at Refinable? What's the grand plan? I think the grand plan is to build a platform for Web3 commerce. All right, that's the the grand plan. Um, but ultimately, the idea behind this was, you know, we wanted to build a decentralized marketplace that was accessible for everyone. So those are kind of our two core principles. And yeah, I, we think that in, in the future, uh, a lot of these products and, and, and markets will run through uh, these decentralized platforms such as ours. So if you give a brief overview of the history of the business, what was the idea conception process like? When did you guys start? We started back like right when, you know, NFT started getting really hot uh, last year. So our timing was pretty good uh, in that regard. And and this started up just because we're just at the right place at the right time. A lot of things really come down to, you know, luck in this sense. So we were put together by a team and by our, you know, our board. And that's when we decided at the time, there was a huge opportunity for, for the BSC chain. Cause at that time, BSC did not have its own marketplace. So that's what we decided to jump on and timing was very critical. And we ended up, you know, being one of the first, you know, BSC marketplace at that time. In traditional world for a marketplace, what matters is things like, you know, selection, price, delivery, and ease of payments, etc. And some of them are obviously still relevant um, for an NFT marketplace, but some of them might not be that much relevant. So what's your take as to, you know, the critical building blocks of an NFT marketplace for Web3? I think a lot of it can be carried over from Web2. Right. We're not reinventing the wheel. A lot of it is uh, recycled material. It's just that we're applying a, a different technology. And even though the technology itself is new, we see that in, in the future, it's essentially a work behind in the background because most consumers won't really experience interaction with it. It's still You're still going to be experiencing with most web pages on the front end. right? So some of the things that are really important to us is UX, UI. At this point, there are still some hiccups because we're so early in the building process, but we see that in this space, it'll eventually get ironed out. And, and another idea is we want to work with a decentralized manner. So that's the biggest uh, takeaway from Web2. So Web2 is very, very centralized. You have these very big uh, corporate entities, you know, such as uh, Meta, Google, where they control everything. But in this new version of Web3, it's all going to be, you know, you get to monetize your own content and a lot of it is going to be you know controlled by the individual so another characteristic of web3 that's very different is instead of signing in with, with your username you're going to be signing with your wallets so your wallet address becomes essentially your id and another thing that we want to pride ourselves on is you know being not custodial at no point will we ever hold anything and i think that's a very different approach from web2 itself so these are some of the things that we focus on at the moment. So you guys started in, in Binance Smart Chain and then expanded into Ethereum, Polygon, and I guess now Solana as well. So how important is it to be across chains? I guess that also you know will reflect probably your views as to the future of blockchain space, right? So you know we all discuss these days whether it's going to be multi-layer one chains or you know a few dominant layer ones, but more of a diversified layer two applications, etc. So what future do you guys believe in at Refinable? Hence, uh, you're building into that future. 
I think uh, just to just to clarify, so right now currently we're available on BSC, Ethereum, and, and Polygon. As of today, we're still not yet available on Solana, just because Solana is a different language. Uh, it's Rust, it's not EVM, so it's taking a little bit more time. But that's okay because we want to make sure we get it right the first time. So we do see it hopefully in, in a month or two. The whole idea of providing you know more options, all these changes, just to give the customer more options because each chain does have its own uh, unique characteristics. For example, Ethereum, it's it's the most stable. <laughs> just because it's been around the longest and a lot of people have ETH, so it's the most accessible by that regard. But ultimately, Ethereum does have its drawback. I think it's well known in this space is it's very costly. So in certain certain applications, it doesn't really make sense. So that's where you have other chains such as Polygon, BSC to kind of address these gas fees. And these do have their, you know, utilization when some of these utilization could be in the gaming, GameFi in this sense, just because it makes more sense because there's more transactions involved. Uh, then obviously you have Solana, which is kind of new in, in the party, and they also have their own, you know, characteristics. And the whole idea is just not limiting our users. Whether and then what happens to all these chains down the road, it's it's really up to the community to decide. But I don't foresee it being a, a winner take all in that regard, just because I think even in Web two space there are multiple providers for the same service, and I see that being the case for Web three. So definitely. There will be some consolidation at some point, but then I think at the at the end result, there'll still be a few options for everyone to select that makes the most sense for them. So that's where I see this kind of being played out. Awesome. Basically, was a snapshot of the of the customer journey on the on the platform. What aspects of the customer journey do you guys are most focused on? And you know, it would be great if you could maybe respond that question from both creators' perspective, but also uh, consumer perspective on the platform. Yeah, I mean, the customer journey is is actually pretty straightforward. I mean, if you're familiar with you know most marketplaces, it, it more or less operates in the same way. So you connect your wallet, um, and then you go ahead and you can buy and sell and trade and and mint. Right. So we provide you with very easy, no code access to, you know, creating NFTs also on the refinable contract. So that's what we provide for you. So the idea is just to make it very simple, a very simple journey, right? So that can be fine tuned in the UX UI. And that's something that we're constantly building and improving. Another aspect that we want to cater towards is traders, because ultimately we want more trade volume on our platform. And some of the things that we're starting to look at that, you know, to help differentiate ourselves, you know, you having those filters that, that make sense and making the, the, the website aesthetically pleasing. But I think the basic principle is to make it intuitive so that someone with no experience, no experience with a marketplace or no experience with, you know, NFTs or trading can actually go on this website and it's all intuitive and in that they can navigate it without, you know, prior knowledge. So that's, that's kind of the main idea. And then when it comes to, you know, I guess the supply side, what we want to do is, you know, provide the supply side options in terms of, you know, how they can create, right? So one is using refinable contract. Another one is at some point we can help come create contracts. So we can do custom deployments. So this really taps into, you know, retail where there may not be as experienced and, and they're looking to get into the space. We can help, you know, handhold them uh, throughout the journey. Another thing that we, we started developing is, you know, our site builder, right? So this is purely to help out with the supply side. So make it easier to get into the space. The site, the site builder just simplifies everything and it's, it's can be accomplished, you know, from start to finish within 10, 10 minutes. So that's basically what a customer journey would be like on us. And we're just constantly trying to improve it and make it as simple and as easy as possible. 
Is there any massive difference already in terms of how, how customers view this space? Obviously, there is more adoption and it's increasing every day. But in terms of behaviors, so from user's perspective, were you able to observe any shift already? Yeah, I mean, I can address it from, from the two sides, from, from supply side supply side and from demand side. Um, so from project side, as well as from like traders, I guess, or buyers or sellers. Definitely the space has matured a lot. There's definitely more tools available. And definitely you're doing more sophistication, right? When we first started out, it was just CryptoPunks. It was very, you know, pixelated, you know, NFTs. There was no standard at that time. So there was no ERC-20 at that point. But now we have certain standards, such as ERC-20, ERC-721, and ERC-1155. So these are three standards that weren't available when it, when it all started. And then also we're starting to see more, you know, utilization, and then we're starting to see more tools. So in terms of utilization, we're starting to see, you know, you know, benefits tied to NFTs, which wasn't the case at the beginning. It was just purely a picture and, and that was it. So now we're seeing like memberships being, you know, applied to, you know, NFTs, you know, you know, access to concerts, access to exclusives. So we're starting to see, you know, more variety in how NFTs are, are implemented. Um, Additionally, for some of the some of the things that we also noticed was, you know, there's more tools, right? For for example, like there's tools for you know traders that are in line with what we would see with you know traditional trading and equities, right? There's certain platforms like such as Nansen that can you know give you uh, real time data on some of these uh, trading. I just talked to one recently, which is called Bubble Maps, which is a project that you know visualizes all the NFT holdings into a sort of a map that you can. Like it's easy to understand. So it's all visualized. So these are some of the things that we're starting to see and we're trying to implement some of these. So we're partnering up with projects that can, you know, provide, you know, some of our buy users, users on the buying and selling, you know, more information so they can make an informed decision on, on, on their, on the NFT itself. Yeah. So these are some of the things that we, we've, we've noticed and we're trying to move along with the community as we grow. That's fantastic. And and that's that's absolutely the utility aspect of NFTs is critical cabin, isn't it, for mass adoption as well and to unlock a huge market than it is already today. But since you are responsible for partnerships, I guess that falls on your plate that, you know, building those bridges with the outside world, be it some events in real world that people can use NFTs as a ticket, but also for the world of DeFi, you know, because we all discussed the interaction between NFTs and DeFi. The simplest and I think the easiest uh, to understand is this, you know, using NFTs as a collateral, but there should be much more than that. So what's what's on your agenda maybe as you are responsible for partnerships? So partnership is, is very crucial for us at this stage because sometimes we don't we don't have big enough team to do certain things. So we need to leverage some of our partners to, to help us out, whether that's from a, a investor partner or it could be a project partner. It really depends on so at this point, I think we're open to any sort of partnership that helps, you know, grow refinable. So one of these things that we want to do is to do more often is, you know, partner with retail. Funny enough, like ultimately we still need to get validation from retail brands because that helps, you know, with our, you know, marketing and our growth. Uh, so a lot of things that I'm doing nowadays is, you know, reaching out to these, these entities, these fortune 500 companies and trying to see if we can break into the market and, you know, offer something that's new to their, to their consumers. A lot of them are quite interested. I mean, just just recently, we noticed that Disney, you know, in the earnings report is saying that they're really interested in getting into the metaverse. And this is something that we would try to capture from, from a partnership standpoint. Ultimately, it does take time just because, you know, some of these corporations are quite big. So there's a lot of red tape. There's a lot of people to sign off on before we can actually announce anything. But yeah, so we have some in our pipeline since we're situated in, you know, in Asia. Uh, a lot of our partnerships are based in Asia. So, so for all you folks that are, I guess... You know, in, in North America or Europe, you might not be, might not be as relevant, but hope, ultimately, hopefully that at some point we can start branching out uh, internationally as well. 
Awesome. And, you know, the example of Disney, I guess, is important, Calvin, right? So obviously everyone is very excited about this new world, Metaverse, but they operate in traditional world. Hence, you know, I think what they consider probably is the risk of maybe endorsing too much this new world. Hence, you know, their existing, you know, space could become maybe not as much relevant for, for their consumers. I guess that's why they need to find a balance for that transition into this new world. And maybe taking a step back to the business, what are some of the key metrics that you guys are following at Refinable? Obviously, you know, for any marketplace, there are standard metrics, right? As to, you know, growth, trading volume, selection, etc. But, you know, for what you want to build uh, at Refinable, is there anything specific and is there anything more important than others? I think we're a little bit different from some marketplaces just because we do have our own token. So all any marketplace, a key metric would definitely be trade volume. That's no different from us. But we do have our token as well. So that's something that we have to be mindful of and we have to make make sure that you know the marketplace and the token, you know, work hand in hand. But signups is another one at this at this growth stage for us. We're really keen on, you know, getting more users on board, especially unique users. And then to, you know, just to satisfy the people that are coming on board we need to make sure that we get certain projects on our platform and so whether that's you know going out and convincing projects to come on board or even you know creating our own content creation team to you know drive trade volume so these are some of the basically the most important metrics for any marketplace is, is very much the same for us and when you go to those creators or artists project owners so w- w- what do they most focus on when they choose a platform yeah i mean trade trade I mean, liquidity is by far the most important, but there are other metrics that are even more important to certain, certain, I guess, entities. An example would be, you know, the ability to, you know, work and do custom employments. So some of these large, you know, marketplaces don't have the time or not, are not willing to spend the time to, you know, work with individual, you know, content, I guess, projects. Uh, whereas, you know, someone in our position have the flexibility to, you know, do custom deployments, you know, get in touch with the team, et cetera, et cetera. And another thing is, you know, location. I know we're all, you know, in this in time and space where everything is done on Zoom, but there is still, you know, that beauty and, you know, the elegance of, you know, meeting someone face to face and getting a chance to know them. And I think, you know, us situated in Asia allows us to, you know, really get really getting close and get close contact with some of our, I guess, uh, companies in this area. So that's kind of the advantage that that we have um, when it comes to, you know, competing with other marketplaces, you know, just our proximity to some of these, you know, I guess, corporations or entities. And, you know, just building that relationship. I think relationships is, is a bit of a lost art in some areas, but I think the size of our, our company is, is something that allows us, you know, to build that relationship and, and, and grow in tandem with, you know, with our partners. And so that's some of the things that we can do different. And another factor is, you know, for with our new product, which is a little bit different from what other marketplaces are are doing is, you know, we're allowing them to, you know, build their own storefront. So that's something that is different and, and, and being different is usually, it's a really good selling point. That was going to be my next question. It's great that that's what you mentioned last. I, when I looked at your roadmap, by the way, it, it gives a very clear picture as to what you guys want to build. I can see the approach that is more of a, you know, positioning definable as an infrastructure layer where, you know, you introduce this marketplace as a service uh, concept, for example. So you are already going one level further where you are building a Shopify model for Web3. 
right? We discussed a bit in the beginning, right? So there was centralized physical locations first in the in the world of commerce, and then Amazon type of marketplaces online, and then we saw you know this D2C brands opening up their own storefronts. A lot of infrastructure was built around that as well, invoicing, inventory management, distribution, delivery, etc. And now you know although we are relatively early in the world of digital assets marketplaces, you guys are already building Shopify type of model. So what makes you convinced that we are already going into that direction? What are the underlying metrics that you guys have been following on? And you you thought, okay, now it might be the right time. Yeah, so our original model is very similar to, to OpenSeas or, or Rarables. And I think that that space became a little bit too crowded for us to kind of make a name for ourselves. And, and I think this pivot makes a lot of sense uh, just because where we see the market going. As, as more adoption happens, we expect, you know, more of the mainstream, I guess, companies or artists or whatever it may be start entering the space and a lot of the times these individuals or these companies have enough brand power where they don't really need to leverage the marketplace itself to to i guess to sell their items so this was the idea behind it because a lot of times some of these big ips they really are very very strict when it comes to controlling their brand image and they're not likely to leverage or use a third-party entity to 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 promote their NFTs. So this is where you know kind of have the Shopify model makes sense. For example, if you're working for a luxury good, so this is a project that we did recently with Moda and Neil Barrett. They very much like to control their own, I guess, branding and everything. And this and this you know this marketplace as a service allows for that, where they have the opportunity to you know control their SEO, uh, their branding, their marketing, and everything. And that's something that we see happening. And also it makes their user experience a, a little bit better, right? So if you go to a website, go to a Web3 website, you go through the whole entire journey. And at the end, you have to click on a link that leads you to another marketplace. You're essentially just driving traffic out of your own project, which doesn't really help. And it kind of kind of interrupts that user experience because ultimately you're using, you're going to a third-party webpage with different branding and different, different color schemes. In it, and it's just not a very complete, you know, set of, I guess flow uh, would be the best best word for it. So this is the the, the main reasons uh, that that we feel like this is where the market is heading. This is something that we want to get a jump on and you know try to create create a space for ourselves. And that that's how it all came came about. Awesome. And as as I just mentioned in the question as well, Calvin. So there needs to be a lot of infrastructure around it as well because those brands uh, are probably new to this world anyway. So what other complementary services that you guys also provide? So and just for me to understand, this is white labeling model. Yeah. So the marketplace is a white labeling service in that traditional sense, and and depending on the. I guess the the project or the company that has come in and approach us, we're very customizable. So that's like I mentioned earlier in our, in our conversation, like that's how we differentiate from, I guess, large, I guess, some of the other marketplaces. So we're able to, you know, depending on the needs of the, the company or project, we're able to fill in the gaps from a technical standpoint, whether that's, you know, writing a contract, a collection contract for them, uh, you know, designing a web page into, you know, running some of their discourse for them. So it's, it's a lot of it can be, you can basically sum it up as we're a full house, you know, marketplace in that regard from, from, from start to finish. Obviously this really depends on the project itself. We, we do have limited resources, so we can't take on everything. So we have the opportunity to pick and choose what is beneficial for both parties. Great. 
and going one level up. So if you are talking about the future of NFTs and if you believe in a mass adoption of it, so that also obviously means we also believe in the in the metaverse, right? So because you don't necessarily use digital assets just in real worlds on some merchandise, etc. You have to use them in, in metaverse. And the metaverse concept is obviously not new, as we all know. I, I guess it was first uh, coined in 1992 uh, uh, science fiction novel Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson. And that was 30 years ago. So what changed now, though? I think definitely technology has improved from back then. Obviously, you know, the metaverse, even though it's still like at the early stages, the graphics may not be up to par to some of those AAA games that we see out there. But we do see, you know, some of these companies such as, you know, Unity, Unreal Engine, really, really, you know, upping their games when it comes to realism. So that's that's definitely part of the infrastructure in terms of making this possible. And And I think what makes it like, doable now is that with nfts we're we're able to you know make things unique whereas before that wasn't the case uh, up until this point and i think from a refinable standpoint like where we sit when it comes to the metaverse we basically are like a plug and play for you know a commerce layer on the metaverse so i think that's like the the simplest way of you know of saying it it's like we're there to provide the commerce a platform for the commerce and so you also mentioned GameFi, for example, in the beginning, and uh, that's important for a bigger adoption into the metaverse, right? Because otherwise, you know, people might not find, at least as of now, there might not be much actually to spend time in that world. And from a partnership perspective as well, so also utilization of NFTs that people purchase on, on Refinable. Mm. You know. So how do you think about partnerships of, you know, gaming and metaverse Hence, you know, utilization of NFTs in that combination. I think gaming and metaverse makes a lot of sense because it's already been proven. It's already been proven in from, I guess, from traditional AAA games, from indie games. So we, we know that, that this model works and will continue to work. Just be, And we know that's very sustainable compared to others such as, you know, profile picture projects. So those ones, there's not much history on those. So we don't know how long those will last. It, I don't know. I could be wrong. And maybe it'll, it'll go on for uh, forever and they, they find more, you know, utilization for it. But we know for a fact, you know, gaming is here to stay. It's not going anywhere. I mean, this is <laughs> a lot of people are spending more and more time, you know, gaming. So this is one of the reasons why we, in the past, we heavily focus on, you know, onboarding uh, gaming projects, give an avenue for gaming projects to to market themselves on our, on our platform, try, try to give them more exposure. Because uh, I think in a way, a marketplace is is almost like an advertising platform for some of these projects, uh, just because we we cater to a more generic need, ultimately bring in more views to these projects. So that's kind of how we interact with games or GameFi in this space. And back to white label solutions. So do you think then uh, it makes also sense for traditional, you know, Web2 games, right? So do they come to you as well for such white label solutions so they can integrate that, you know, NFT creation minting platform as well as the marketplace where people can purchase into their traditional gaming infrastructure? Yeah, but majority of the projects that are approached are still from the crypto space. We haven't had too much, I guess, traditional gaming come to us at this point. I do know that they're, they're definitely looking. They just, I guess, at this point, they don't really know how to implement it and how it affects their current model because they do have a monopoly on it at the moment. And I'm pretty sure they're quite, they're they, they enjoy that position. So, but at some point I do, I do feel that they, they're going to get some squeeze from, from the, the game five space. So they're definitely going to be looking and when they're looking, we'll be ready for them. I guess they don't want to abandon their existing strong turf too soon. Perhaps they don't want to lose all that, all that audience there. So you guys are based in Hong Kong and certain customer 
behavior taste if you will for digital assets overall might be different from you know the us for example where there is a massive adoption as well but is there any major differences do you think in terms of how consumers uh, look at nfts between you know asia and and the us I think when it comes to NFT adoption, the, the speed of adoption is definitely quicker, I think, in, in the Western world, just because I think they had a little more, but we're d- definitely starting to see it in, uh, I guess, Asia. And we're starting to see a lot of it being done on Solana. I don't know whether that's because there's a lot of investors in Asia that are, are <laughs> it's, it's, it's based on the fact that there's a lot of investors from Asia that have invested into Solana, or is it just because they really like Solana? There's for, for the, for the, I guess, the specification of what Solana provides, but we're definitely seeing that, like just in this in this city alone, we're starting to see you know four to five profile picture projects popping up uh, on the Solana chain, like pretty often. It's it's so so often to the point that we can't really keep track of them anymore. And I think that's probably one of the 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 reasons, the one of the, one of the differences when it comes to you know the the. I guess the Western world and as well as the Asian world in, in that respect. And another thing is I think we're starting to see the the private chains from the, the Chinese markets trying to branch out into, I guess, the the decentralized chains. And there's definitely some talks of it. And we're definitely right in the middle of it just because of where we're situated. Uh, we have the opportunity to take advantage of that at some point. But it's still at this point, it's still ongoing talks of how to do that uh, just because it is it's basically two systems trying to merge together, which which we know in, in the traditional sense, it, it can be quite difficult, but there is definitely some progress being made at, the, at this point. Awesome. And so I guess, you know, the merging of those, those two systems should certainly be beneficial for the mass adoption. So Calvin, I usually do this the other way around. So I don't start with the background of yourself, but maybe now is the opportunity to ask you, you that question. So what's your background and how did you move uh, into the wonderful world of crypto? What was that aha moment? If that- yeah, I think that aha moment essentially came when I joined, you know, BC Group. So BC Group is the parent company of OSL, which is a digital asset exchange. At that time, I, I didn't really take it too seriously. It was just a job at that point. And it was just an, a career opportunity. I always, I always was one that, you know, wanted to, you know, chase new technology and take advantage of a more level playing field when it comes to a new industry. So that was the idea behind it. And I, and I didn't really think too much of it because, you know, at that time, there was a lot of naysayers and, and even me, I was, I'm more of a I, I guess I can categorize myself as more of a risk averse person, but, you know, gradually over time, as you get comfortable with this crypto space and you realize, oh, wow, especially when you're working in it, you realize all the potential, all the money that's flowing into it and all the people that are getting involved and you start to realize, hey, this is staying, this is not going away. And so that's, that's probably when the aha Absolutely. moment, and that's when you're like, okay, you know, I got to take this seriously. Let's throw some, let's throw some of your own personal capital into it. And let, 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 let's just try this out. And what year was that? I think, I can't remember, probably check my LinkedIn, but it's, I think it's like 2017, 2018, okay. somewhere around there. <laughs> the reason I ask is most of the people uh, seem to be from that cohort of 2017. When they moved into the blockchain space, the price of Bitcoin. So there seems to be an exponential rise in that year. So I don't know if it's a coincidence for some people, but there seems to be correlation there. I think I think it coincides to right when I think BTC hit 20k uh, US, mm-hmm. like its first you know like all time high. Uh, that's that's when you know it drew a lot of headlines. I think that's Absolutely. that's how a lot of people were kind of pulled in. 
And do you see uh, a significant move uh, of talent into Web3, into blockchain today as well? So it's happening. Okay, so closing question for everyone is, what are you most curious about these days and what are you doing to learn more about it? Given you know, my role in, in, in Refinable and what I, the space that I work in, I'm definitely curious to, to know like what some of these, I guess, decision makers in the, the tr tr traditional retail space are doing or thinking. And I'm always constantly trying to get in touch with these people or these decision makers uh, just to get a feel of, you know, just their idea of what NFT is and how they can implement it into their business and when this adoption would come place. Is it going to be this year? Is it going to be next year? Well, hopefully sooner than rather than from, from my sake. But yeah, so these are things that I'm trying to, to figure out because I think once, you know, the masses come on board, it's going to be a very bright future for Refinable. This has been a, a fun conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much for uh, coming on the show and sharing your insights. Awesome. Thanks for having me. And I'd love to catch up with you uh, later on. Cheers, Kevin.